1: To start winning.
2: Our biggest takeaways from Week Five—that's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at @YardsPerGretch. You can find me at Stealing my Substack at my Stealing Signal Substack at BenGretchSubstack.com uh it's a newsletter that was a great intro and with me as always is sean
3: siegel who you can find at rotoviz sean doing? well we talked last week about how week four was one of the all-time greatest fantasy weeks uh i still have plenty to watch yet we kind of do these in the middle of the day on sunday when we've got so much that we can never cover it all and yet there's still plenty to go uh, a lot of what's happened so far is is a little bit of a bounce Kind of back in the other direction, we know that some of these things are going to happen. Then a lot of the quarterbacks who had been, in some ways, turning their careers around, uh, that didn't go so well in week five, right? We had Sam Darnold, who has really been one of the main stories of the 2021 season. He struggled badly today. The Eagles, who <laughs> gave up a massive performance last week to Tyreek Hill, uh, they were able to use Darius Slay in a variety of combinations to take away DJ Moore. Sam Darnold had Robbie Anderson uh, free for a long, I mean, a 50 plus yard touchdown early. He throws the ball back behind him, allows the defender to recover at the last second, come over, get that one, uh, misses some late, sort of third down crucial conversions. They had a very nice performance from Chuba Hubbard in this game. And yet, in part because he was running well and Darnold wasn't throwing particularly well, uh, they arguably went to the ground too much. They allowed the Eagles to stay with it. Their young defense, and, and again, I mean, you've had on this since uh, back in the offseason, their young defense looked fantastic. Shut down Jalen Hurts for almost the entire game. But the Eagles kept plugging away. Hurts kept you know, scrambling when he couldn't complete passes. Uh, Devontae Smith... Had an early touchdown wiped out because Craig Ward couldn't do just the bare minimum of executing that little rub play correctly. Devonte Smith looked good; he was maybe the bright spot in this game. If you don't have him, it's going to be hard to get him now. But the Carolina Panthers were pretty disappointing.
2: Yeah, Panthers were disappointing. Still had a chance to win, like you said. Block field goal, or uh, excuse me, block punt late was a really big one too. They, you know, really were stalling out offensively. But that that block punt. With it looks like four minutes left in the game, gave the Eagles a nice short field. They scored the go-ahead touchdown, and ended up winning. Essentially because of that it, I thought it was pretty interesting. The Panthers still had a chance to win. I was, yeah, talking to you a little before the show about that the Carolina D. I mean, I'm still pretty impressed by them. A couple of sacks here. They didn't necessarily cause these uh these these moments, or at least the the one moment where there was a snap between Hertz's uh hands, but they almost had a, a touchdown on a loose ball in the end zone that ends up getting knocked out for a safety. Later they uh, picked up a, a loose ball and ran it back, but it was pretty clearly a four pass. Hurts had his arm hit, but it wasn't the whole open hand thing. But there was a couple moments where I thought, you know, my, my Carolina defensive shares are going to get a TD here. But, yeah, they played well overall, I thought, uh, especially when you look at you know, how Sam Darnold played, like you said, three three interceptions. It a really tough game. Moore still leads the team in catches and yards, but – Really kind of down game for him, down game for the whole passing game. One note that I caught in that game was Greg Olson talking during the broadcast about Joe Brady said that DJ Moore is my best player right now. I just have to be careful I don't use him too much and overload him, which, you know, obviously we have no issue with that. But um, it was interesting to... To hear them explicitly say that, we've talked about that all season, that it's, you know, that was first of all, we talked about that in the offseason. That was the bull case for DJ Moore was that they went back, they watched film, they said, look, we got to find ways to get the ball to him more. We talked about immediately in week one. That's what we saw. We immediately, you know, we're like, this is going to be the role that DJ Moore is going to be able to thrive in. They are finding different ways to get him the ball. They see what we see. And now they're explicitly saying it, so that's you know to broadcast teams when they have
3: the uh, production meetings before the games. So that's good to know. Yeah, well, I mean, he is their best player. He he didn't look quite like himself today, right? He had some catch and run opportunities where he looked a little sluggish. That's not the way that we're used to seeing him. I mean, he's physical and violent and fast. After the catch, uh, he had a route today where. Uh, doesn't drive back on the ball. There may have been a little bit of a miscommunication between Darnold and Moore on that, but I, I mean, he just looked slow, didn't look his normal self. And Darius Slade does make the pick on that one. That was a play that turned the game to an extent. I, I was impressed that the Eagles continued to compete. Devontae Smith doesn't get that touchdown. It's wiped out early. I'm I mean, going set up very nicely. All Ward has to do is take a couple steps and stand there as opposed to go out of his way to commit the penalty. That would add another six points onto this very nice game that Smith had. He's emerging as the very clear number one. The tight ends were down a little bit in this. Uh, Dallas Goddard actually had a chance to catch the go-ahead touchdown. He drops it and hurts scores on a scramble just after that to give them the go-ahead score. But Smith really looks like the guy here, even though he's small, even though he goes through some stretches where they're able to take him out of the game. I mean, he, he looks fantastic. If this was a game and a day in which we saw Jamar Chase do a lot of Jamar Chase kinds of things. I think the contrast almost here was between Smith in the Miami Tampa Bay game, Jalen Waddell with Devontae Parker out really had a chance to have a big game, at least from a target's perspective, a volume perspective. Jacoby Brissett struggled a little bit, but Waddle was awful, right? He had numerous chances to make plays, convert first downs. He didn't put a second hand out. He didn't try and fight through the defenders. He has a play; it's in garbage time, so it didn't affect the outcome of the game. But in terms of feeling good about a receiver, I mean, he basically just, you know, handed an interception to Tampa Bay to let them go in for their their 45th points later. Uh, you know, Mike Evans gets the two fourth quarter touchdowns after he was sort of taken out to that point. Thoughts on Smith versus Waddle here? I mean, Waddle is going to be fine, but this was a pretty disappointing performance. He had some bad drops too. I mean, uh, you know, drops
2: aren't aren't necessarily predictive, but it's funny. You highlighted the Devonta Smith play a couple of times Waddle had the exact same play, it got called offensive pass interference as well. It was a third down. It was like essentially the exact same play in the red zone. He would have scored a touchdown that would have been nullified, but he just didn't catch it. <laughs> like there was, there was a pick on that play as well. And he was wide open and he just come just flat dropped it right through his hands. And so they actually, the, uh, the bucks were actually able to decline the penalty. That was, I think early in the game. And, you know rather than accept it i mean c- certainly it still would have been a problem um this yeah this was the first drive It just pulled it up it certainly would have been a problem to have then third and goal from the 15 instead of the five yeah i mean it didn't help that they had to then settle for a field goal instead of you know converting and then obviously in the scenario where the, the penalty wouldn't have been called because he didn't know there was a flag at that moment you just like to see him catch the ball right and so there's uh you know, we, we talk a lot about drops not mattering. He got six targets today. It, the, the big story from Miami's offense, which was bad, but the big story I think was Miles Gaskin. He gets 10, 10 targets, 10 catches, two touchdowns. He, he catches a, a wheel route, get the old running back air yards going. He looked really good. Last week was the first game that he has uh, played in since the beginning of last season that he had fewer than uh, 50% of the snaps or played fewer than 50% of the snaps. He was way down I think, 23% last week. It was kind of really bizarre. I did see some notes this week that highlighted Malcolm Brown's pass blocking and sort of negatively talked about Miles Gaskin's pass blocking. But Gaskin played extensively this week. Malcolm Brown didn't get a touch. Did he not play? Did he get hurt? Did I miss this?
3: I, I didn't see him. I, Ahmed was in there quite a bit when Gaskin wasn't in. And it just it completely changed the flow of their offense early, right? I mean, they competed in this game through about two and a half quarters. And you mentioned the 10 receptions. I mean, it was a, a gigantic game, a 10 for 74 and two touchdowns. And uh, he looked just like he did last year where he looked very quick, very explosive, was able to really be both a safety valve and an explosive player for them at the same time. You think about this game and how it got out of hand at the end and people who didn't have a chance to see it or don't have a chance to go through the box where the play-by-play might think, okay, well, this is garbage time. I mean, DeAndre Swift had a, a great garbage time performance today for the Lions, although because the Lions game is so squirrely, it becomes a little bit not garbage time in terms of the way it works out. But all 10 of those receptions happened in the first three quarters for Gaskin. And so, I mean, he was very involved when the game was, I'm not exactly in doubt, I wouldn't say, but when the game was competitive, right? And so to see that involvement in the first three quarters, very, very encouraging.
2: Catches, catches the wheel route I mentioned in the first quarter. The second receiving TD came in the third quarter. It, they were down 24-10. It cut it to 24-17. The game was still certainly in question at that point. The Bucks go on to score 21 additional points, in the, and the Dolphins mm-hmm. don't score anymore. And so, yeah, the final was 45-17. But to your point, late, late into the third, after that second Gaskin touchdown, after he had done most of his damage and was basically their whole offense to that point, they were within seven points. It looked like they had a chance to win the game, but clearly that was not the case. <laughs> clearly they got knocked out uh, pretty bad from that point on. Brady ends up throwing five touchdowns. Antonio Brown, very good first half. You noted Evans had the two touchdowns late. We get uh, Gio Bernard catching another touchdown, but really didn't play a whole lot. Fournette had a really big role. Not much wrong in Jones. Fournette, three down back, workhorse, just like we told you, superstar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, whatever. They're going to use him. He's not, he's not going to bear anyone is sort of my take on Fournette if anyone is worried about that. What other uh, earlier games were you intrigued by? Oh, we, we talked a little about Green Bay and Cincinnati before, before we, we came live. I was really encouraged by A.J. Dillon. I mean, I know, like, not the, not the highlight for anyone else, but I talked in Signals last week. Uh, you know, obviously, A.J. Dillon, a lot of his work was in the fourth quarter but it was also encouraging to see him get involved, be efficient uh, as a runner, do some different things that he hasn't done over the first couple of weeks. I had been pretty excited. Those of you, know, those of you that are subscribed to my sub stack know that I've been pretty excited about him potentially having a stand- standalone role alongside Aaron Jones. Now, obviously, Aaron Jones is a superstar regardless, but some teams can make two running backs valuable. And the Packers have done that. They did it with Jamal Williams at times alongside Jones. Dylan, I think last week the hope was that okay maybe he had shown a little bit of uh enough to, to earn a little bit more of a role. He ends up with four catches and I think all of his were in the first half and he had a TD on that, his first of the of the year. He gets some carries in the second half. He ends up with eight carries. It's more than he's been you know been getting other than week four. So that was I was really encouraged by that. Really nice to see the the issue with him, I would say, is an issue that you know I am going to write about signals this week I'm seeing with the, in a lot of different places where you know we talked last week about Cordero Patterson and how how to think about him how he's a key part of their offense he's very clearly one of their you know top four best skill position players potentially you know not four basically in in the top three maybe in top two maybe you know so far really he's been their most uh productive player and and teams recognize that we're we're in this you know post talent world in in fantasy football analysis somewhat. And and Sean, you've really been banging the drum on actually paying attention to players who are good for a really long time. We've talked about this a lot on the show, but everyone wants to focus so heavily on role. I talked about it a lot last week on the Sunday show. With with Patterson, it's okay. Well, he's actually a part of the offense. The team cares about that. They're going to continue to find ways to use him, and they they continue to uh, in week five. I I was, you know, I've been hopeful that A.J. Dillon would become part of what the Packers want to do. They're so heavily dependent on Devontae Adams in the passing game, they don't really have any other pieces, right? They throw to, when MVS is healthy, they throw downfield to him some. He actually looked really good over the first couple weeks before he got hurt. Now that he's out, it's like, okay, a few targets to Lazard, a few targets to Tanyan, a few targets to Cobb. There's no one else that's a key part. Obviously, Aaron Jones is a key part of their offense as well. But to me, it was like, okay, you know, maybe A.J. Dillon can be a key part. The problem, I think, is like when AJ Dillon's on the field, obviously, like they're using him in the passing game, which is exciting. And he, so he's kind of this like in- between. I, I can't decide. Part of me, like what, what AJ. Dillon does well is not really what the Packers want to do. They want to be fast-paced. They want Rodgers to be throwing, obviously. They want sort of the, you know, dynamism of, of Aaron Jones in there, obviously. But Dylan has shown, I think, enough that maybe he can play with that and not slow their offense down too much. Anyway, I was kind of playing with him as somebody who's kind of in between that. Is he a part of what they actually want to do, of their core offensive philosophy? Or is he somebody they go to when the passing game's not working, when they're showing different defensive looks, and they're taking what the defense is giving them? And that wouldn't be bad for him necessarily, but that's, I think, probably more along the lines of what we're going to see from Dylan, at least as long as Aaron Jones is healthy. And that's a problem for some, some players. Like we've talked about, like, some issues with Clyde Edwards Alaire. I think that he's a really good example of the type of player that the Chiefs go to because their core offense isn't working in a certain situation or because of a, a, the defensive looks they're getting or whatever. Then they start running the ball. Then they start going to Clyde Edwards Alaire. But if the, if they can have their way, if they're playing an inferior opponent, they're going to throw downfield, they're going to throw all over the place. Then maybe they'll go to Clyde Edwards Alaire in garbage time, right? And run the clock. Every team's going to run the ball with a big lead. But he's not really a part of what they want to do they don't want to throw to their running backs in the passing game necessarily. And they don't necessarily want to even have to run. Uh, and again, we're recording this before Saturday night Football's even started. So don't know what Clyde Edwards alert did this week when I say that, but Dylan is really interesting in, in those regards. That's what I, I don't know. That, those are my thoughts on him this week.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, you have been hammering the idea that he was going, that he could be a receiving back. Right. And one of the things that we noted a couple times in the zero RB candidates list is that the Packers were also saying that, that he looks very, very good running some of these routes. And I feel like you and Colin, my two co-hosts, have been like maybe two of the very highest guys on Dylan. And we saw again today why that's justified, right? You talk about, you know, Dylan maybe being the guy who does the things that they don't want to do. And I, this game was just so encouraging in terms of how well he actually does fit in. Because that early touchdown, you can see how useful he is in the red zone and not just as a runner right and he's not just the guy who's going to get a carry from the one yard line and that was a beautiful catch and run he has the three other receptions they get him out on the edge on all of those you think about the way that we've described dylan his you know his athletic testing and size just so so similar to derrick henry Unfortunately for Dylan, I mean, he's not going to have these 25, 30 carry games where he can really get on a roll in the second half and steamroll people. But you think about when Henry really excels, it's when the defense starts to wear out, when he can get into the secondary, he can start hitting these guys. And in some ways, the Packers have done that with Dylan simply by throwing the ball to him in space, getting him out on the edge where he can use that size-speed combination to really flash. Now, he also had a couple of very nice carries up the middle where he looked very Derrick Henry-like. I mean, the thing in this game is that he was actually the guy, right? It wasn't until almost the very end when the Bengals had a stop you know, perfectly set up against Aaron Jones the defender misses, and then suddenly Jones has gone for 60 yards. Now, that's why you draft Aaron Jones. It's why the Packers, you know, re-signed him. It's why he's such a good player, and it's why the, the ability to make big plays matters. You know, you hear people say all the time, well, big plays aren't sticky, or they're not sustainable, or you can't rely on them, but they're an important part of a star's profile. And so the fact that Jones is actually getting completely shut down in this game, he looked like the inferior back behind A.J. Dillon until that play. Well, that plays a big, big deal, right? So Aaron Jones has to get credit for that, and just how explosive he is. But the thing about this game was, you know, how much Dylan was really showing him up until that point.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's an interesting take. I, I'm. I don't have really. I, I anytime I've talked about Dylan, I've tried to really shy away from saying anything negative about Aaron Jones. I don't really have any sort of concerns about Jones, and I don't think you do either. You're just saying that in this particular game, and it's true for for. Um, the first few quarters, Dylan was making some plays and, and Jones
3: was, you know, getting bottled up a little bit, but. And you mentioned kind of who the guys are, they want this offense to be about. I mean, Devonte Adams, he was unreal today. And you have, again, these situations, I mean, all throughout this game, there were plays where all they had to do was not let Devonte Adams go for 30 yards and they would have either stopped a drive, they would have stopped an easy field goal situation, but when you're as good as Devontae Adams is, even that can be difficult, right? But as you mentioned, beyond him, it is Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon that they want to be the stars and who are the next most talented guys. And so that that does matter. I mean, Dillon's going to be involved because he's the third most talented guy on this offense.
2: Right. And that's, I mean, that's a, that's what I think is really interesting because there are offenses that we talked about this in the offseason. There's haves and have nots. There's these gaps between offensive philosophies uh, throughout the league. We're we're seeing that so far this year this is again going to be a part of what i read about in my introduction in in stealing signals this week a little sneak peek but we're seeing teams where the running backs are not i mean we saw it with the bills last year and it was a weird thing and we talked about it in weird terms all off season and we sean you and i were talking about drafting zach moss and devin singletary in a lot of teams because they were valued so low but that was in part because the market was very aware of this weird phenomenon that the bills running backs did nothing last year basically and they were overvaluing that. We we talked about, you know, in our hot take show at the beginning of the year, hey, the Bills running backs are probably going to score more touchdowns this year. But they they're, they're still an the afterthought to what that team wants to do offensively because they can use Josh Allen's rushing as essentially their de facto rushing game and then just throw on every down. And then he can, you know, scramble, extend plays and run. And it, it makes for a really, really dynamic offense. And there's so many more dual threat quarterbacks. There's so many more offenses that are sort of following that uh, template now not all of them look exactly the same but there are a lot of teams that are not necessarily using their running backs particularly well now week five not the best example of that there was a lot of running back scoring but so far this season I think especially with some of the running back injuries and things we've seen a lot of the the issues with banking on sort of running back ceiling in a lot of scenarios you know I, I would say this affects Ezekiel Elliott who still looked really good I think this year he's looked better than I expected him to look this best shape of your life stuff has has actually kind of come to pass in my mind when I watch him play, yet the the Cowboys want to be a pass-heavy team and they have this other talented back. And and Zeke and, and Paula, they get used, but that's not how the Cowboys necessarily want to win games. They they have gone to them in a couple of these matchups recently where teams are, you know, against the Chargers, are, are known for taking away the pass, right? Who, what was the other one? The Eagles game, Zeke had a very big game. It, you know, they were, the Eagles were making it tough on Dak. They were getting to him. I think they sacked him four times and Zeke was rolling. The running game was rolling, but that's not what, I mean, you watch the Cowboys at all over the last couple of years with Kellen Moore calling plays and Dak Prescott at quarterback. It's not what they want to be. That's not why we were drafting Dak and their receivers and picking up Dalton Schultz. As soon as he started showing stuff, this wants to be a passing offense. So a lot of offenses that look like that. So it's interesting in a team like the Packers by comparison, where, there are, t- there's, you know, there's the Browns I with Patterson. I was comparing him to hunt the Browns. I mean, honestly, they're, they're two key players in their offense are both running backs. Odo Beckham is an afterthought and you could say it's almost like Devonte Adams and Odo Beckham where Beckham is like the main passing game guy, but he's really not. He's an afterthought uh, more or less. And the, the two running backs are the key to the way that the, the, the offense runs. And, it, and the Packers are sort of a, a version of that, at least. They're, they're certainly going to use their running backs. Rodgers is going to throw passes to the backs. They're going to call pass plays. Uh, excuse me, run plays. They're not going to you know only call passes. And so anyway, I, it, Dylan's an interesting one that I'm kind of chewing on. I don't mind having him on some you know anchor running back zero running back modified zero running back builds and and needing to start him i started him in a main event this week it was great <laughs> i was glad at him in my lineup he had a great week you know it's funny people love to say when these things happen that nobody actually was playing aj dylan well i was playing him in a main event so take that <laughs> and then they say well that means your team's terrible well, I think the fact that you're starting the receivers you are makes your team terrible. My team has really good receivers, and the fact that A.J. Dillon did anything means that I won this week because that's that's what happens when you, when you build
3: this way. Ben getting feisty with his zero RB build. In. I'm arguing with nobody. I'm, I'm <laughs> arguing with a fake zero RB hater. Ben, after the break, I want to ask you a little bit more about this game. It was a crazy one with the missed field goals at the end. Did the coaches approach it correctly? We'll be right back.
1: NFL football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets, Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out for the Packers, whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want ahead and get in on the action this season and attend a game, whether it's a home game for your favourite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit tickpick.com slash rotoviz today and use the promo code rotoviz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets, use the code Rotoviz. that is techpec.com slash Rotoviz. We're
0: driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
3: All right, Ben, after a long run of made field goals from Mason Crosby, he got some pressure from the Bengals, and this one pulled a bunch of kicks wide left. The Bengals tried a 57-yarder uh, toward the end of regulation there. They came back in overtime, tried a 49-yarder. This was a little bit of an uncomfortable one. You you see the switch in a motion where the Bengals kicker thinks he has knocked that one down. Kick the 57 yarder off the goalpost and the 49 yard field goal actually hit the flag at the top. So, distance I mean, crazy. was crazy. Yeah. I mean, distance was not an issue here. But on both of these plays, it really looked like the Bengals, I mean, they had opportunities to get closer, right? Or call different styles of play to pick up some more yardage. Now, obviously, they believe in their field kicker. Despite the two misses, he looks like he may be one of these guys who's going to be an elite kicker in the league for a long time. And so you can understand if he's that good, why they would have gone this route. You can also kind of understand a little bit the second one because Joe Burrow, after a hot and cold game, he throws a very bad interception in overtime where he appeared to misread kind of where Tyler Boyd was going to go. But there, there was nothing there on this play, feeling a little bit of sort of ghost pressure where are we on the Bengals now? I mean, we've been obviously big advocates all offseason and through this first month talking about how they got to 3-1, and one, running the ball a little bit more. One of the things we saw in this one is that the Packers were definitely willing to let them run. These were very soft fronts. You know, I don't have a lot of credibility with Joe Mixon because I've been consistently sort of down on him. I always kind of point that out. I don't want people to think that that I don't know <laughs> that I've been down on him. But it was interesting in this one because Samaj AP Ryan, if anything, looked a little better. They were out on the field sort of switching in and out for, for Mixon <laughs> drafters. This had to be pretty uh, scary for a while. It looked like Mixon actually might not play, but then he does get the late touchdown to sort of save his day. Another game in which they ran a lot and it was disappointing. They get the long touchdown to Jamar Chase. Chase makes the extraordinary catch in overtime to kind of keep that drive going, get them a little bit closer Uh, T Higgins had kind of a bad drop in this one he does get the two-point conversion but Higgins and Boyd not very involved to have those three receivers and to have Burrow really not look like he knew what he was doing I mean that's when we talked about this is kind of the point where we start to get a little bit more concerned we also sort of had this the weirdness in this game where you have sort of a third and five carry that sets up the 57 yard field goal you have a third and two carry that sets up the 49 yard field goal. They ran the ball, didn't pick up first downs and then had to kick difficult field goals as opposed to trust your number one overall pick and these three star receivers that they have.
2: Yeah, that was tough to see the Packers are a defense that teams have tended to run more against that that, that they aren't good against the, the run and they sort of ask teams to run the ball. We've known that we've, you know, Heard that that's been the narrative on them since last season, and it's helped their defense. Frankly, that they've structured things that way. At The same time, like they're not a dominant pass defense right now, and so you would have liked to see. I think the the Bengals trust Burrow more. I wrote my notes at one point. Is Chase too good for anyone else to succeed? Because that's I think where we're at. Right is that Chase? I mean, the 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 talking about where they're where the team is at. The first thing we have to acknowledge is that. I mean, it really sucks if you think you thought that drops mattered in the in the preseason. I I'm not trying to make you feel worse about that, but it, it does kind of suck because you know last week he finally has a a somewhat reasonable game. He only goes six for seventy seven. He doesn't score for the first time, and then this week he comes right back, has the most yards he's had all year. Uh, it's got to be his highest scoring game. He did have a multi touchdown game, but looking at the stat line, uh, ten you know six six catches, one hundred fifty nine yards, and a TD. Monster performance. He has been basically elite right out of the jump. And we knew he had that potential. We knew he was that type of prospect. And we knew that he had played with Burrow before, and all of those things matter. At the same time, Burrow, part of the reason we were so high on T. Higgins is Burrow had a real strong connection with Higgins last year. And Higgins has been banged up. He's returning from an injury in this game. Does not have a very strong game. Does make a nice play on the game tying two point conversion to force uh overtime or as an extended play. And he comes, you know, I thought he he fought for the ball well at the back of the end zone. You know, comes back towards Burrow along the back of the end zone. Burrow catches him over the middle, and there's kind of a defender there. And and Higgins did a pretty good job of being to the ball, or or however you want to describe that, but being strong with his hands and all of those things. I I think, you know, I I wrote that, and then I just right after that I was like, I think it's more so far that it's it's just that Chase has been very efficient, and we see that in these passing games that have multiple good players. Sometimes one of the guys is just, you know, has the boom game, has the efficient game. Right now, Chase is stringing those together. In this game, I think the story was that Chase was the efficient player. He made that great play that you referenced. He had the 70 yard TV. Every time they went to him, he was making plays. That's phenomenal for Chase, but it also is not something that's going to continue forever. We know that with receivers, there's going to be ups and downs. We also know, again, to to back to the Higgins point and to Boyd, they, they have. Success on their on their resume in the past, I think it's gonna it's gonna level off quite a bit. I mean, it, it, like compared to you know fantasy scoring to date, I don't think the answer to that question of whether Chase is too good that the other guys can succeed is yes. Uh, I think the bigger storyline again was all of the targets going to those three guys. P. Ryan had five as well. Drew Sample had four. Uh, no one else had more than two. And, you know, Boyd only had five, but Higgins 10, uh, seven, Chase ten. We finally see Burrow throw 38 passes and get up there in volume a little. Yeah, Chase Higgins were, were the top two, and, and Boyd was tied for third on the team in targets, which, like, we've seen this all along, all year. Those three are getting the, the bulk of the targets. There's going to be some games where Chase is not as efficient. The big plays don't hit for whatever reason. Burrow doesn't make a good throw. Chase doesn't bring it in. He's obviously incredibly good. But one of the things with things like the, the 70-yard touchdown is that – in some respects just limits what they're able to do or the other guys are able to do. Chase makes this great play, but it ends that drive, right? There's no other passing. And then it also puts them in a better scoring situation or score line where they might be more willing to run the ball or, or what have you. And so those big plays, you know, you, you see that sometimes where it just ends up meaning that the other receivers on the team have sort of a down game. Right. And so, yeah, I, I think, We've just seen a string of really strong efficiency from Chase more so than the other
3: guys can't also succeed. Now, it, it obviously speaks very well of Chase long-term. It does, and the play where he scores that touchdown is a broken play, basically. It was one of these rare plays where the Bengals were actually able to extend the play. He is you know, 30, 40 yards down the field. He runs from one side of the field to the other, Getting open for his quarterback. Burrow barely gets it in there. The defender almost knocks that down, but he had to really work to create this play. He actually has another target in the end zone that is about a 40 yard target, vastly underthrown. It's a little disappointing that Chase didn't fight that much for that one. Not that he was going to catch it, but it was a very uh, high likelihood interception kind of play with the situation there. I guess my concern is still a little bit more about Burrow. I think these guys, these three guys can do it. And one of the things that was disappointing, especially in the second half where they scored very few fantasy points as a group, is the guys just didn't seem to be open. And if you have those three guys, you should not be in situations where Burrow is dropping back and can't find people. And it was disappointing. I think from Boyd's perspective, you know, Higgins, Higgins is going to be a star too. I mean, those two guys are going to put up a lot of points going forward, but I think there were a lot of points that they left in part because Burrow didn't play very well, but also because they were, I don't know, tricked is the right word, but like you said, the Packers asked you to run. They ran somewhat effectively, but that also took some of the air out of the clock and it kept them from the chance to use their stars at key moments. You know, when you have basically put the game into the hands of your kicker and Samash AP Ryan, there's nothing against those guys. I mean, they're, they're very good players, right? But you've taken the ball out of the hands of chase higgins boyd those types of players i do think an encouraging note to kind of leave the Bengals discussion on is that burrow was aggressive in terms of running early he actually makes an incredible diving effort for a first down there were some other quarterbacks today that had first downs they didn't take uh, Burrow didn't actually get there but he went flying also after the really bad interception he lays out to make the tackle on the return and so those things number one encouraging from a character perspective number two encouraging from a physical perspective
2: and he had another one that i send a tweet about where the the Bengals didn't pick up a free blitzer i think it was a maybe a nickel cornerback i think it was a db and bro had one-on-one had chased one-on-one on the outside and stepped right down the barrel of a hit stepped right into it with that injured leg threw a ball that was a little underthrown. i think it hit the the helmet of the defender Chase wasn't able to make the play, went incomplete. But he stepped right to the hit and wore it. I mean, he took a big hit, and that was early in the game. And I was like, okay, like that's that's what we want to see. We want to see that, you know the stuff that they were talking about early in camp that people are still worried about that he didn't feel comfortable in the pocket, wasn't stepping into his throws. Like that seems to be behind him. I I, I feel like that's behind him. This was a tough matchup. I think as we continue on, like I'm not I'm not concerned about Burrow or this passing game. I, I think we're starting to see them open up a little bit more in a tougher game, tougher matchup. He throws more passes. They do run, they're they're running more than we'd like to see still. But um, I do think that as we move forward and continue to move forward,
3: that Burrow looks comfortable enough that I, I'm pretty excited still. So Ben, we're gonna have a ton to talk about on our wednesday shows but i wanted to close it out today asking you a little bit about two other quarterbacks who have struggled with arm strength and some other types of issues we have this broncos steelers game the steelers need to win to kind of keep their season going broncos need to win to stay and keep pace with some of their teams in the afc west we've talked a lot about sutton he has had the air yards he had the one big game and then since then he's had some empty games with some air yards you know, more or less held in check in this one, but then he gets a 39-yard touchdown late where he gets behind the defense. Actually had a similar situation on the subsequent drive. Bridgewater underthrows that one. And then the final play uh, when they're trying to come back an end zone target to Sutton. So we got a lot of volume to him. It looks like he's going to be someone who even with the poor quarterback play will be able to have some good games in this scenario. And then on the Steelers' side, We have Roethlisberger finally flashing a little bit. The big play to Deontay Johnson. Chase Claypool has the big game. Juju goes out with a shoulder injury. Probably he was not being played very often today because of how poorly the Steelers have played and because everybody knew that he had this shoulder injury. But now we kind of have this offense opening up a little bit where Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, both very good players. And if it's just the two of them, there may be enough volume there, even with Roethlisberger not being what he was even a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's certainly possible and look like we've dogged Roethlisberger a lot, but he threw a good ball on the deep shot to Deontay Johnson for the TD. Still was pretty underneath. Otherwise, like even Claypool ends up with this five one thirty in a TD line. And a, a couple of those were at least one was an extended play. It was a shorter pass that he extended. I think he caught at least one pass down the field if I remember right. But they, well, I think one of the more concerning thing I don't know if it's concerning, but they've had to throw a lot. They actually get out front of a game and they run, you know, Najee Harris ends up with 23 carries. They run 35 times. You know, the, both the backup running backs had, they, they combined for nine carries. And Roethlisberger only throws 25 passes. So that's how you wind up with, you know, Deontay Johnson only seeing two targets. He wants, he, he winds up with an okay game He because he, because he has the 50 yard touchdown. Claypool is very very efficient on just six targets and, and in those 25 targets five of them go to Najee harris you know and and another one goes to bellage another one goes to benny snell who just flat dropped it which is probably a good thing for Najee harris's receiving profile but there was a lot of underneath stuff and then just not a lot of passing volume i do think yeah if juju's out for a little bit it it, it will concentrate it could be positive um for those two receivers and if roethlisberger I mean, he's talked a little bit about working on his mechanics. There's been some discussion about how um, he essentially never needed to needed to work on that. It's something that always kind of came natural to him. <laughs> and so he's at this stage of his career working on his mechanics for the first time. But maybe that's helping. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, he did look a little bit better today. So, yeah, I think uh, Deontay... You know, it's almost a bummer that he has the long TD for anyone who wants to try to acquire him because you could have pointed to the two targets and been like, oh look, he's not that great. But I don't think anyone's trading Deontay Johnson right now. He's just racking up targets. And Claypool, obviously,
3: yeah, showed some life. Good to see Claypool doing some of the things that we thought he could potentially do coming into the season here. So uh, Ben, it's been fun to chat with you on Sunday night. As always, we got not quite the Quarterback play we wanted on some of these games, but we still have the Sunday night game to look forward to. And a lot of those afternoon games, obviously some excitement there. We'll have more coverage of those games when we come back to you on Wednesday. Uh, We've had some really nice notes and messages about the various shows. So we appreciate those a lot. Uh, If you get a chance to leave us a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. We really appreciate that. I'm Sean Siegel. With me as always is Ben Gretsch. Definitely follow his sub stack and subscribe to the newsletter, Stealing Signals. You won't regret it. You'll get a couple of awesome pieces over the next couple of days there. Uh, unveiling new stuff all the time at roto If you want to get a 10% discount to the site, go ahead and use the coupon code RV Radio 2021 at checkout. Subscribe to our feed. Uh, good luck on Monday Night Football, and we will talk to you soon.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.